how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 368, where I talk to the writer-director K. Asher Levin about his new films, Dig, Slayers, and Helen's Dead. I'm a bit of a film brat, he told me. He grew up in L.A., and his family was also interested in working in the business. In the movie Dig, starring Thomas Shane and Emil Hirsch, a widowed father and his daughter, whose house is up for demolition, are taken hostage by a dangerous couple who won't stop until they retrieve what lies beneath the property. And Slayers, a group of superstar influencers, are drawn to a reclusive billionaire's mansion only to find themselves trapped in a layer of the evil vampire. In this interview, we talk about applying a voice to genre, the balance of levity and gravitas in filmmaking, the freedom of the indie market, directing with a somewhat cynical eye, creating idealistic villains, and how to work with actors long term. I, uh, I come from, uh, you know, I'm from LA. Uh, I grew up around it. My uh, family was involved, um, in different types of, of elements of the entertainment business, mostly through producing. And, um, I guess I just was always a film fan. Uh, my grandfather showed me gangster movies pretty early on in my life, like 1940s movies and stuff like that. And, uh, and then I got into Hitchcock pretty early and I, you know, I always, yeah, I'm a child of the eighties I'm 42 years old. So, you know, I, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to grow up in an era where you could see movies you probably shouldn't have earlier um, and get exposed to, to things that way. And then, you know, very lucky to have um, been a teenager in sort of like the, the second golden wave of, you know, new Hollywood filmmaking uh, with Tarantino and Rodriguez Paul Thomas Anderson and David O. Russell and stuff. And so I was exposed to things at the right age at that point. Um, and then look backwards. I went to a school in Los Angeles where there was a, a film program uh, for high school. And then, um, and then I went to NYU for film. So I'm a bit of a film brat with regards to that. I've seen everything from, you know, cult movies and, you know, and, and have huge reverence for genre to, you know, elevated, you know, films both here and overseas and kind of, you know, it has informed my film language. Did those, you know, Russell Tarantino, the ones you just mentioned, did that lead you into kind of writing and directing? How do you see um, your different films where you're the writer and director versus just the director? How do you kind of approach those two different ones? I honestly don't really approach them very differently. I mean, it's just a matter of if I start the project or if I end the project, you know, I'm the writer First, I started as a writer, you know, I, I sold some things as a writer, uh, I'm, a, you know, and then became a director. Um, but I always, when I direct, I always think about the script and, you know, this movie in particular has a very specific tone mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it's a unique tone. I think that, you know, today it's harder and harder to find genre films where, um, where there's a, 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 a real voice 
Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's hard to even understand it because it's been so long since there were unconventional versions of, you know, of, of thrillers like this, to be honest. I mean, you're either making a straightforward thriller or it has to be all the way in the sort of like, you know, Coen Brothers uh, adjacent kind of world. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a lot of movies these days that have the same style as they did in the 90s and 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 a little bit in the uh you know, in the seventies where it was a sort of postmodern version of noir. So, you know, the di- the character's dialogue is a little saltier. Um, some of the acting is, 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 you know, leans towards camp. Um, I think that there's a lot more fun to it, in my opinion. I mean, and also just finding the balance between, you know, levity and, and gravitas in these films. It's a, you know, I think that the time that we live in right now is very similar to uh, the mid seventies mm-hmm. in terms of being very cynical uh, pretty angry um, and pretty confused about where our country is going. And I think this movie really represents a lot of the, you know, the stuff we deal with everyday trauma, um, misguided judgment and, um, and a, a sort of lack of a center, um, you know, and it it is a bit displacing in the film. You know, there's, you know, the action is sort of, you know, bookends, more philosophical scenes that are really about, you know, what is good, what is evil, you know, how trauma affects diff- people differently and, um, and just how to survive in, um, in a pretty hard time that we live in today. Do you kind of see uh, the stories you mentioned, the seventies movies, the nineties movies, some movies, some movies of today, do you think most of that has gone into television or where does that live today? Where can filmmakers who want to make movies like you make, where can they kind of share their voice? Well, obviously you can, you can do it in these smaller films because there's not a lot of safeguards. Um, you know, you, you basically just have to bring in the actors and come up with a, a plan to go make the movie. Uh, there's a lot of freedom there. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, yeah, it's probably much more on, you know, on streamers, especially this sort of unorthodox style that, that, you know, I went with in terms of, you know, the tone not being so straightforward. Um, having you know having dramatic elements but also balancing them with sort of wild performances on the other side that is definitely something you find more on premium cable and streamers at this point uh it's a shame though because movies are movies and i think Mm -hmm. one of the things that is a little different between the streaming version of this kind of a project and the film version of it is that you can kind of push a little harder when you make a movie uh it can be a little more dangerous and it's a one-off you don't have to live with these characters afterwards which means that the characters can be a little bit more unforgivable all the way around. I mean, mm-hmm. Thomas's character is not perfect at all. Um, he's got a lot of flaws and, um, you know, Emil and Liana's characters are, are fucking crazy. So, um, you know, and that's by, that's by intent. That's not, there's no sort of like, I wasn't like, Hey, you know, uh, I want to make these, these characters really scary or anything. It was kind of the opposite. I felt like I really wanted to make sure that the villains spoke to a type of, of, of character and people that are out there um, that have a lot of love for the glamorous idea of being a gangster, you know, and, and I think specifically with Emile's character, but there's a, obviously a ton of fetishism that goes along with Liana's character too, with this. I mean, you know, aside from maybe spring breakers, you'd have to look back to like natural born killers in California and stuff like that. And obviously way before that, the, uh, the pulpy films of the forties and the fifties, um have tons of characters like like Vic and Lola in them um where they're a little over the top and 
you know, chewing the scenery and having fun being bad, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I think I heard Brad Pitt say after he did California, he turned down the major role in true romance because it was similar, but now it's like such a rarity. What's kind of your take on obviously Thomas Shane and Mill Hirsch, you know, came onto the project. What's your take about actors wanting to do these types of roles today? I think actors want to do them. I think that the reality is, is that they're tough movies to get made. Yeah. Um, it's tougher every day to get made a movie that you, that it's funny because, you know, there's all these shows and articles about, you know, with, with so much love for the Tarantino films of the nineties and, you know, and, you know, where have all the movies gone and all this other stuff. And the reality is that they're really, really hard to make now. Yeah. And when you do make them, sometimes people don't really even understand them and think that you're like, just not really doing a good job making them or something like that. Like, Everything that was made in this movie was by intent. Um, it was for a love for for pulpy genre films. Um, you know, the movie that's coming out next, uh, Slayers, is a is you know what is a movie that is really bred out of my love for cult films. And you know, that's that's sort of where I come from. I I I don't believe in you know going with a trend or anything like that. I just want to make the movies the way I want to make my movies. You know. At some point, people will, you know, people will like them. People won't like them. What are some of the conversations like that people might not expect when you are trying to pitch this to a studio or raise financing? Because it's it's maybe um, I don't want to like give away your plot or something. I talked to uh, Chris Monday who did Ozark because that kind of had uh -huh. a disappointing ending. And we were talking about movies like Arlington Road and and some of those in the 90s. The Simple Plan. Sure. Um, simple you don't plan follow a big influence for, for yeah. this film. I say they don't, they don't follow the typical hero's journey. I mean, do you, how do you kind of get past some of those things into just like, we're making this type of film? Like what are the conversations like with studios or raising money? Well, you know, this is a project that was brought to me. I was in post uh, on Slayers, which was uh, a little bit harder to set up because it was, it's a very unconventional film. Um, and uh, it was very straightforward when it was brought to me, it was already set up in Saban at that point. Um, so I didn't have to do a whole lot of work with regards to that. I came in as a director, an executive producer. I brought in Emil and Liana and came in and kind of, you know, you know, got the the movie to where it needed to be to get shot. Um, you know, I told everybody from the get go that I wanted to make a movie that had um, a lot of echoes of, you know, some some of the more independently minded genre films of the 1970s and obviously that then informs you know the the mid 90s thrillers that that you know we're talking about right now you know mm -hmm. the stu studio and and independent thrillers uh of the of the 90s as they clearly the influence was 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 very specific and not only that you know some of these 70s films and the 90s films have a lot that they owe both classic noir but also some overseas noir films uh, that were a little bit more groundbreaking uh, specifically, you know, a few French, you know, filmmakers, and there are a couple of Italian filmmakers that were, you know, you know, great with that. And then, you know, there's also a, a lot of influence that I drew from some, um, some Asian filmmakers too, mm -hmm. with regards to the way that they, I think that's where you find the more unconventional um, genre filmmaking these days and, and the filmmaking that is much closer to, uh, the stuff from the seventies the and the nineties, to be honest. Can you tell people that are not familiar a little bit about your journey? I see you worked on some music videos and different shows and some of those things. Like 
I lived in LA years ago and I did commercials and I kind of got stuck in that world. Did you feel like yep. stuck in a certain world? How did you make the transition to films like logistically to some degree? It was a, it's been an up and down. Um, I started, you know, at a very young age, I was in a rock band. Um, I wrote a script. That script was on the blacklist the second year that it was out. Uh, blacklist is obviously a very well-known um, website that covers uh, uh, independent scripts, basically that haven't been commissioned by studios. Mm -hmm. Um, and I made a film um, uh, early when I was 29 um, and it didn't turn out great, but it was a really good learning experience. And I decided at that point, then at that point I had been offered lots of things to write, but I really just didn't care about it as much as directing. Hmm. So I said, I kind of wanted to go back to film school a little bit. And so I went and started directing music videos. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get an agency for it and I turned down it probably to my own detriment, I turned down a lot of, of, you know, position staff positions as a writer and, and, you know, other stuff, uh, because I just really wanted to learn my craft as a filmmaker. Um, so I directed like 60 music videos, um, you know, all different sizes, you know, from 5,000 to $250,000 videos. I mean, you know, that I was sort of still in the wave of there being a lot of music videos at the time. And it taught me a lot, obviously, not only about filmmaking, but also about producing because, you know, once you start directing a lot of times to make more money, as there's not a lot of money in that, you ultimately then start learning how to produce your own projects as well and take producer fee. So I learned a lot about that and I learned, I met a lot of people through that. And, um, you know, as that started winding down and I was looking for something else, I was introduced um, to this guy who had just sold his company to Twitter for $40 million. Uh, him and his partners and uh, they were about to start a new digital media company and they were looking for someone to run their creative. So um, I said, Hey, that sounds interesting. Um, and uh, I didn't know a ton about the digital space at that point uh, more than just sort of like the basics, but it was the sort of apex of influencer digital, you know, you know, wild west mm -hmm. 2014, 2013, 2014. Uh, and so I founded this company, Brat, with uh, my partner, Rob and Darren. Uh, and my task was to basically build the content front on it. And it was really creatively fulfilling for a little bit um, because I basically just had like a blank check and I can go and, you know, uh, come up with a bunch of shows, see what works, you know, interesting different ways of filming, you know, kind of leaning back into the old AIP Roger Corman model. We would, you know, we would have like, you know, one location, like a school location, and we'd have like three shows going. And it was it was pretty interesting. And I met a lot of young influencers. And through that, I met a lot of talent agents, too, because I was helping to break these people. And that company uh, was really, really successful. We, you know, we raised, uh, we raised $50 million on a quarter million, quarter billion dollar uh, valuation. Uh, and uh, we had we have like, you know, millions and millions and millions of subscribers i would have shows that would come out they'd get like three million views in like like two hours it was insane yeah. uh but it really wasn't what i wanted to do but it was a kind of almost like a good gateway back into narrative filmmaking mm -hmm. um because we were doing you know 15 20 minute shows i was show running a lot of them and uh and then directing a couple of them and uh and slowly kind of working my way back in and getting more sophisticated with each show which each season and all that stuff and after a couple of years, I left. Um, 
it was really programming for like 11 year old girls, which after seeing dig, I, I is surprising. Um, I immediately, uh, was offered, um, a, uh, a deal with snap original Snapchat. And, uh, and I spent a year and a half developing. We did two shows that came out. Um, one of them was a genre show, a uh, mystery show. And, uh, that was the one that I was almost like my entry point back into what I really wanted to do. And at that point, then, uh, I, my writing partner and I had, uh, gotten an offer from, uh, a digital outlet that did a lot of podcasts, scripted podcasts called Studio 71. And I was, uh, just starting to figure out how to get uh, with teeth, which is what Lifter, which, which is what um, Slayers is called now, with teeth. Uh, we were just starting to get it made. I got a couple actors in already, and I still had like six to eight months before we were going to film it. And so we got this, you know, we did the show. I wrote like 11 episodes, I think we wrote of it. And it was really, really, really popular, um, this podcast. And we got great actors in it. And that was, that I think was really like, it was in the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, that was really like my full blossom back into, uh, into narrative filmmaking because, you know, I wasn't on set, but we were doing what we would be doing basically, you know, and we were editing it the same way. I was working with actors the same way and uh, got my sea legs back. And at that point then I had done so many things and I was now I had a new genre show and it was top 10 on iTunes for a podcast and all that other stuff. And so uh, it was relatively easy at that point to get uh, um, Slayers moving. And so we got that moving within five months and we ended up shooting in November of 2020. Um, and it was right around the time that our that my show had sort of was winding down on the podcast side. Um, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. We did that. Uh, that led to Dig. And then um, while I was in post on Dig and Slayers, uh, I found a screenplay that I really liked um, and uh, co-wrote it and uh, came back, you know, came into rewrites. Uh, and uh, then we shot that one in December and that'll be out next year. Um, and, that, and now we're prepping for our next you know, movie um, that we're going to shoot in next month. Uh, so I don't know, honestly, just put your head down, <laughs> decide you're going to be a director again. Uh learn how to have relationships with actors and uh actors make the movie world go round. so you know I, I, if you look at my imdb you'll see that i've done uh three movies i'm gonna do another another one three movies with thomas jane one that i produced and two that i directed i've done two with emil i'm gonna do another with him uh you know i i'm working on another movie with uh with Mullen. uh uh so you know we you know and i we're always looking for projects right um, and, uh, and, and so I think I'm, my relationships with actors have helped me to, to, to make a lot of movies fast. And now that I've done a couple of them to give you, this is a very long winded answer, by the way, but now that I've, uh, I've done a couple of them and they've come out, I think I've fully kind of gotten out of the digital space. It was harder. The digital space was harder than the music video space. Cause when you're in the digital space, you know, that's, that's low class. Um, <laughs> And the and there's no acting. You know, you have to act. You know, to work with actors that have never acted before, uh, teenagers and early twenty somethings that have made all their money and just acting like themselves on vlogs. Um, so you know, the bar is pretty low for the content. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the place and convincing people that you know you have a discernible taste is not easy. Uh, but now that I have three movies under my belt, it's a little easier. Um, yeah. 
I'll try to kind of wrap all that together. How do you think about once you do all that, you come in, you've got, so these are out of order the way I'm looking at them, but you did Slayers first, which is coming out next, I think, yeah. but then Dig, both Thomas Jane, I was kind of leading those. How do you yeah. think about risk after all that, like risk and confidence? Like, like it might seem that if you're going to dive back into movies that you do something more basic, I guess would be what I'm kind of saying. Like what made you want to kind of like, oh no, this is what I want to do. Is it just the obsession or where do you kind of think that comes from? I don't, I, I, it's hard. That's hard to answer. I mean, I've always thought that if you're going to do something, you should do it all the way. Um, that, uh, you know, that you should never not be working. So, you know, that's a big thing. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm a pretty blue collar, uh, guy when it comes to my work ethic. So, mm. you know, I'm just always putting together what's the next project, what's the next project, the next project, and not really looking behind, you know, you, you shoot your movies, you cut them, you do the best you can hope the audiences respond to it if they don't you move on to the next project and you know at some point somebody will love something and you'll go from there and they'll look back and they'll say hey i saw what they were doing in these earlier ones i mean most of the filmmakers that i admire the most you know there's like five six movies before they get to that movie you know yeah. and uh and i think that people forget that because we're so obsessed with like like something being fully baked uh early and you look at things even now, I mean, I love Mike Flanagan, um, but uh, Flanagan really putzed around for a bit before he became Flanagan. You know what I mean? And you look at, there's movies you never heard of before he even got to Oculus and, um, you know, and then you go from there. And that's a good example of a sort of journeyman aesthetic, even though he is not tour mm -hmm. um, and is well-respected for it now. And if you go back and look at the films, you'll see he works with the same people every time. And, you know, and, and some of the same actors every time. And, and, and I, I use him as an example, not because my style is the same, but because the journey, you know, it hopefully is similar. Jim Nichols, another good example of someone like that. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a handful of other independent names that you look at where you're like, okay, well, these people are still are kind of doing, you know, what I'd like to do, which is just make a bunch of shit and um, whatever interests you. And, you know, know that you, keep if you start making movies you can keep making movies right yeah and then at some point if you want to make a show you make a show you have enough under your belt that people are okay and understand that you can shoot things efficiently and deliver them and have them get out in the world you know what are some of your conversations like with uh tom jane and emil knowing that you maybe is it just like based on project to project do you talk like do you talk to them before you even have an idea are you looking for an idea with them in mind kind of thing when you're thinking about long-term relationships like that it depends. It depends on the project. I mean, you know, we talk project to project. We're friends. Um, you know, we try to find things to do together. Um, my relationship with the meals is a little different than my relationship with Thomas. Thomas is sort of uh, like a, a really strong rock and mentor to me mm -hmm. um, with regards to experience and just being really sweet and, and almost like a family member at this point. Mm -hmm. And obviously I work with his daughter and it's a little different. Um, and, uh, and then with regards to, uh, Emil, it's a, it's much more of a creative peer relationship. Um, Emil is super creative. He's really smart. And, um, you know, we, we kind of operate on a similar wavelength, um, with regards to the types of movies we like mm -hmm. and tones we like. Uh, so it's a, it's a creative collaboration a lot of the time with the two of us. And we try to figure out what we can work on together. And, you know, we work on what we work on with Thomas and I, you know, I think it's, it's more of, 
this is a really cool project and let's figure out how to do it together. And Thomas has incredibly insightful notes. Um, he's done so much and so much in the genre space that he knows what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very different kind of relationship in that way. Uh, and then, you know, other actors that I'm friends with, we just try to find movies to work on together so that we can hang out. Do you see, so obviously the, a lot of your movies are very different. Do you see a thread between them? Like something you're going for? Is it just about the tone? What kind of connects your style? I, I like to pick, uh, stories with characters that have a lot of issues that they're, they're wrestling with. Uh, and I think it's a lot of it is issues with ambition a lot, um, kind of, uh, most of, most of the characters and the pictures that I like, or the things that I I write are, you know, about people kind of chasing an idea, uh, and, um, and, and the trauma that sort of comes with it to a certain extent. Um, you know, to me, like almost like the, the uh these characters kind of represent the the uh the fall of late stage capitalism to a certain extent um in different ways obviously dig is is it's hard to see that but the reality is that you have one character who you know is trying to make an honest living and is suffering and then you have another character or two characters who don't believe anything is honest anymore so they might as well just do whatever the hell they want you know, and in Slayers, you know, it, that's a movie that's all about bl- the vampiric elements of of media and blind ambition through media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and and uh, Helen's uh, Dead, uh, which, you know, we have I haven't really talked about a lot. That's a, a really a movie about, you know, millennial malaise and um, and the narcissism of today. So I think that, you know, the genres are different, but the themes are pretty similar. You know, they, they wrestle with things that I deal with on a daily basis personally. Um, and also what I'm exposed to, you know, growing up and living in Los Angeles. Um, it, you know, I'm, I, I see the, I see through a, a relatively cynical eye. I try to find, you know, um, you know, true drama and humanity where I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I have a, a relatively brutal outlook on life. <laughs> We'll just do uh, one or two more. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Um, if you were kind of starting over today, or if you're, I think you were talking to your your kids early. If your kids came to you and said, "I want to be a writer director," what advice might you give them? How how would you kind of guide them in the right direction? It's a pretty tough job, um, and uh, it's not as glamorous as it was. So, I, you know, I might not have to have that conversation. <laughs> um, I would say make sure you really truly love it because it's an art form and just like any art form if you're going to be doing something that is creatively enriching and you know with a brain that can do a lot of different things you need to make sure that it's worth it because if you're smart enough to get in the room to put things together to get things made that means that you're smart enough to do just about anything you know making a movie you know in the process of doing that you can you can be an investment banker, you can be a lawyer, you can, you know, there's so many aspects of it that, that harken to all different types of fields, you know? So do it if you love it and don't do it if it's just something that I did, you know, I mean, I guess that's, that's the advice I give my son. Um, he, he, he is passionate about, you know, doing things that are artistic and, but he's six years old. We'll see what happens. You know, if he wants to do it, I'll be there to give him advice. 
Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting here. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows with Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com slash television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.